Shalom. Welcome to the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations weekly commentary series. This is Dave Nickel from Ruach Israel in Needham, Massachusetts. And today we're discussing Parshat Chaye Sarah, from, uh, starting in Genesis 23. A couple of weeks ago in Parshat Lech Lecha, we read that God commanded Avram, later Abraham, or Avraham, to leave his homeland and go, without much detail about where to go. But God did provide some motivation, or at least a clue of what is to come. Quoting here from Genesis 12:2, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. End quote. Now what this blessing looks like, Abraham likely can't entirely fathom. But it seems to motivate him. He immediately obeys and takes great risks to follow this path. Later, in Vayera, we learn a little more about what God is intending for Abraham. He says, um, talking about Abraham, For I have singled him out that he may instruct his children and his posterity to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is just and right. Tzedakah Mishpat, from Genesis 18 and 19. Long before Jake and Elwood and the Blues Brothers, Abraham is on a mission from God. This mission seems to be on Abraham's mind in this week's Parsha, Chaye Sarah, as he takes steps to find a wife for his son Isaac. He calls in his senior servant, identified by some commentators as the same Eliezer mentioned in chapter 17, and solemnly charges him to retrieve a wife for Isaac from his kinsfolk, his kinsfolk back in the Mesopotamian homeland. He is emphatic that Isaac should not go back there himself and that this wife should not be from the Canaanites or nearby peoples. Now, these stipulations are, are interesting, um, as is the fact that Isaac wasn't invited to this meeting. Why are Canaanite women out of bounds for Isaac? After all, uh, Abraham may eventually take a Canaanite wife himself in, in uh, chapter 25. And why not let Isaac go back to Haran and maybe get some time with the grandparents and Uncle Laban and find a wife on his own? Well, even if we don't know exactly what's going on in Abraham's head here, he's clearly motivated by God's promises. It's not really about Isaac's marital bliss. It's about this legacy of tzedakah mishpat, righteousness and justice, of being a great nation and a blessing to all nations. Whatever Abraham's rationale for avoiding Canaanites, it's clear that his actions are being filtered by their compatibility with this legacy of promise. I find this servant Eliezer particularly inspiring. He doesn't stand to benefit the way Abraham does from this mission, yet he is committed to the vision and to the mission. His trip to find a wife for Isaac meets with spectacular success with God's help. Upon arriving, he asks for help, a miraculous sign, and it works. Imagine that. He's led to Rivka, a girl of exceptional character who is even Abraham's close relative. And yes, this was a, a good thing back then. Perhaps even more miraculous is that when Eliezer explains this strange situation to Rivka's parents and brother, they agree that it is clearly God's providence and that she should return with him to marry Isaac. In fact, the only friction arises in the story when, after a good night's sleep, Eliezer wants to set off right away. I'm going to read here from Genesis 24, starting in, uh, verse 54. Then he and the men with him ate and drank, and they spent the night. When they arose next morning, he said, Give me leave to go to my master. But her brother and her mother said, Let the maiden remain with us some ten days, then you may go. 
He said to them, Do not delay me now that the Lord has made my errand successful. Give me leave that I may go to my master. And they said, Let us call the girl and ask for her reply. They called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will. End quote. Why does the servant insist on leaving immediately? To a modern reader, this may seem like a minor disagreement, but the fact that they actually had to bring Rivka in and ask her to be a tie-breaking vote indicates that maybe it was a little bit more serious. After all, no one bothered to ask her opinion on a long-distance arranged marriage. So what can we learn from Eliezer's determination to return to his master? He wants to do it right away. There are two possibilities that I can think of, and I suspect both are factors. First, Eliezer understands the gravity of Abraham's mission, of the big story that he's, that he's witnessed to. Imagine being close to greatness, but being consigned to a supporting role, like being a ball boy in the Wimbledon final. Are you the kind that chases down every ball with gusto, not letting up, executing your humble role with passion and vigor? Read this way, he embraces his minor role because he sees the big picture and has the humility to accept his role in it and lean into that. Another way to understand Eliezer is as one who cares about Isaac's future because he truly loves Abraham. He may know that this wife hunt is of profound historical import, but it doesn't even matter to him. His loyalty and love drive him. He would rather see the joy on Abraham's face, see Isaac comforted after the loss of his mother, than get a few extra days partying with the Chaldeans. So what can we learn? We are more... Eliezer than Abraham were minor characters in this drama in which we take part. Certainly matchmaking, finding matches and spouses for those uh, who are looking, maybe in our wheelhouse, that's a way that we can participate and give. But so are many other things like keeping Shabbat, showing hospitality to those who are lonely, uh, declaring God's unity twice daily in the Shema, bearing the burden of our neighbor, visiting the sick, the list goes on. We are part of the same mission. Honestly, as characters in this story, we are only guessing at what will happen next. We may think we see the, un the story unfolding before our eyes, the birth of the modern state of Israel, the widespread agreement that righteousness and justice, however defined, really matter. More people entering relationship with the God of Israel through Yeshua. Wars and rumors of wars. But we're kidding ourselves if we think we see the last plot twist. Eliezer certainly does not know how making one shidduch will re result in the redemption of the world. He only sees what's in front of him. He has a simple job, and he wants to accomplish it with zilizut, with alacrity, with enthusiasm, and with anava, humility. He loves his master and takes joy in executing his task. Perhaps this is why, instead of being named, he's referred to the, as uh, throughout the entire story as Ha'eved, the servant. His faithful service reminds us of Yeshua, who initiated his servants into this same mission by taking on the role and dress of a servant himself. Therefore, let us serve, not by looking for the grandiose or inspiring roles, not with an expectation that we know how the future will unfold, but by accomplishing what stands before us. What stands before us, you know better than anyone what stands before you. But generally, the Shiliach Kepha tells us and here, quoting from 1 Peter chapter 4. So be self-controlled and sober-minded for prayer. 
Above all, keep your love for one another constant, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve another as good stewards of the many-sided grace of God. Whoever speaks, let it be as one speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let it be with the strength that God supplies. So in all things, may God be glorified through Messiah Yeshua. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Uh, Shabbat Shalom to everyone. For more commentaries like this, you can find them at umjc.org slash commentaries.